another sit-down edition. This week, I'm joined by Ben Hadley. Um, ben is one of the most intellectual car guys I've ever met. I think he's really, really smart when it comes to the process part of it. Uh, he grew up around the car business, family in the car business, as a matter of fact, uh, owned multiple dealerships and actually ran from it. Him telling that story is part of what I love about him. Um, so here's what I want you to take away, though. What we talk about is this idea that Making the making the journey to buying a car more exciting and more fun is probably going to be a easier on everyone and b really what everyone's after. And creating a culture where it's cool to sell cars and making it cool to buy cars is something that I think is a great great idea. And uh, and that's what that's what Ben's talking about. And that's what we're on to. So this is a long one. I don't expect you to sit through all of it, but uh, at once. But you should definitely be watching the entirety of it because the conversation's wonderful. And uh, if you don't follow Ben, check him out. And next week, we're going to have another all-star. This time, we're going to go north of the border. So enjoy this week with Ben. We'll see you again next week. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another five minutes with Sean, maybe 10. Today is a sit-down edition. So as you all know, we're going to go well past our 10-minute guideline. I'm joined today by my man, Ben Hadley. Um, ben, how are you, man? I'm doing pretty awesome, man. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. Thank you for taking the time out. I know you've got a lot going on, obviously, with everything going on around us, but you're also on your way to being a, a father, which I know we were just talking about. It's crazy cool. So, again, thanks for putting aside the time. Anytime. Anytime, man. So, Ben, right now, I know you're on a consulting gig or, or working with a consulting company. Um, quick background. Give us your 30,000-foot view of, of what Ben's spot in automotive for, you know, give me, give me the last 10 years highlight, you know, as quickly as you can. Oh man, quickly is not my game, but okay. Uh, so let's see, to get out of college, I had to take an internship. Um, it got rejected a bunch of times at dealer.com. Finally, they said, okay, we'll let you in. I was like, great. Did that for seven years uh, through the dealer track acquisition, the Cox acquisition, um, left there, uh, as a sales director for the Midwest and then started working at a company called Clairvoy doing multi-touch attribution models with the vice president of strategy. Um, did that for two years, left and went to a company in San Francisco, small startup called Prodigy that does digital retail and does it in a very different way. And uh, then, uh, let's see, about four or five months ago, started a consultancy called Leviathan LLC, where uh, I've basically been advising partners, uh, so vendors and dealers on kind of go-to-market strategy, uh, tech stack optimization, that kind of thing. That's awesome, man. I love that last part because I think that's really what you're doing now. I think really combines a lot of what needs to happen. Um, and people, that's really what you and I were talking about is this idea of strength. Yeah, man, and I'll actually throw in too, because I should say, like, my family has, now it's four dealerships in Burlington, Vermont. So the other piece of that is I almost feel like auto has been a lifelong thing for me. I will say, like, I was very disconnected from the family business but then always kind of was part of the discussion, you know, during holidays or whatever. So it's always been a part of my life um, from very early on. So it, it's almost been one of those things that like, um, you can't, I couldn't, I couldn't even escape if I wanted to. 
Well, I was going to ask you though, but you, you made it was a very, you, it was a very interesting way you phrased that. You said you sort of ran from it. Why? Yeah, I mean, I don't think. Um, and actually, you know, part of the part of one of my missions, I think, is to make it. Um, to make it cool, or make it. Um, Okay, I'll put it this way. I've seen guys at like, whatever, um, charity events, uh, or like, you know, social gatherings, and they're in auto. And someone will be like, hey, so what do you do? And they'll dance around the question. They'll like, kind of skirt, and like, it always lands back to, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I sell cars, or I do whatever. But it, the tendency is to like, you know, almost Just mask that a bit. Yep. And like, you don't see real estate agents do that. I mean, you don't even see like furniture sales guys do that. Um, you don't see people that like a guy that works at Best Buy do that. And like, you know, our our industry is almost fit right in between, you know, appliance, furniture, real estate. It's like kind of like a microcosm that exists in between those. Yet, like our cousins are proud and psyched to tell you, yeah, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a real estate guy. You know, oh, cool. Um, and I kind of wanted to change that perception here. But, you know, I was, I was a, um, I guess I was a casualty of the same thought process. Well, I mean, look, man, I think, I think when you look to, Pride in what you do for a living is tough for people. And so when, you know, when you're in this position, because there's always there's a lot of negativity, you know, attached to doing what we do for a living. Um, and I mean, I, some of the earliest memories I have of being in the car business, I, I didn't have a family in the business. So I got into it on my own. I got into it from a family friend and, you know, you'd go places and people would look at you and they'd be like, you're in the car business. And it would just, they'd either look down or they'd look down on you or they talk down on you. Um, now me, I- totally. I was never that person. You asked me what I did for a living. I told you I sold cars. If you had an insult for me, there's a I was ready for one. I had my own ready for you. And mine typically revolved around money, uh, as selfishly as it was. I mean, again, at 19 years old, making six years, it was easy to just throw yeah. that in space, you know, and tell them, yeah, yeah, whatever, get bent. I make money. You don't, you know, type thing. Um, but you know, that, that lends its hand to more, more kind of nonsense. So I've learned over the years to be proud of the fact that I get to help people with the second biggest purchase of their life. And, uh, and I get yep. to make, it, I get to make it fun and exciting. And dude, I'll be honest, man, I was talking to my wife the other day. This is what I'm, this is why I miss retail. Um, I miss being in stores to be able to be in there and, and help people with this journey. I, we joke that I'm just going to go find the coolest, most beautiful dealership in the U S and, and hope they'll hire me as a sales guy and just build a brand, build a business just and, hang. Just, and just hang out, man, be somewhere beautiful because I don't I could sell Subarus, Cadillacs, but it doesn't make a difference. It really doesn't. It, cars are cars. It's about people and experience. And I think you're someone who always focuses on experience, Ben. So where does that, does that all come from the same root for you? The fact that you are so hyper-focused on the experience of buying a car is because you want to make it, I like the way you say it too. You want to make it cool. Um, see, I always say that I want to leave this, this business better than I found it. But now I might start saying, I want to make this business cooler than I found it because I like when you say that. So is that all connected for you, man? Is that why you put there about the process. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I mean, part of it is like having a baby, right? And you're like, one day she's going to say, hey, what is, what's dad do? 
and you know, if I had done my job well and really well, then um, she will be pumped to go and tell all her classmates exactly uh, what I do to help people. Um, and I think that's been a perspective change for me. I think uh, in terms of like making it cooler, um, one of the things I think a lot about is in my journey, you know, so when I entered into DDC, dealer.com, it was right after the recession, right in the core of the recession, really, like 2009 to 10-ish. And I had all these friends that were also recent college grads and they were like promised, you know, sweet jobs just for getting that degree and kind of finished that, had that diploma and got really nothing for it. Um, and they were working at like, uh, you know, a Best Buy. I, uh, I think Circuit City just closed. So a couple of them went to Staples. You know what I mean? Like brilliant, super intelligent guys. And I'm thinking in my head, man, none of them. I have not a single friend that during that time thought of auto as an opportunity. And so now, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily, I think when we think of cooler um, or we think of technology, we're, we're often thinking about it in terms of like improving something for the consumer. But, you know, now we have um, about 36% of the people we hire in the industry at a dealership will be a millennial in the next year. And 33% of the people we sell to will be millennials. The number one thing a millennial hates is negotiation. So if you, if you just look at that, you, you're going to have you know, we're tending to think on the one side of the table, the consumer side of the table, man, the customer's gonna hate negotiation, but your salesperson's gonna hate negotiation too. And that's like the core part of his job. So like a third of the time, you're gonna have a millennial on one side of the table, speaking to a millennial on the other side of the table, and then both are like dreading the negotiation that's about to happen. Um, so I think, you know, it's almost, it's almost a necessary thing at this point to make these changes so that we attract really good people um, as hires, uh, but also, you know, so that we're, we're meeting the demands of the consumer. I think it's, um, I, I think that's why this whole thing is as, as rough as it's been and everyone, everyone job loss and businesses closing and all these terrible things. For our sector, there's a little bit of silver lining if you take this as an opportunity to retool what it is that you've been doing. Um, now, my world is all about ad budgets. That's what I deal with from a core competency for our business. But, you know, when you when you look at that, you see what, what happens when someone stops spending money. And now now these guys, some of my guys haven't even started spending money yet. June was a record, right? So they look at me and they're like, well, what's the point? Okay, well, yeah, I get it. I totally understand. But the strategy of who you are to me isn't about selling cars. You're a car dealership. That's a given. I mean, just don't you have to tell people that. Um, it's just like having a sale again, you're a car dealer. We know it. So what's it, what's the experience about? And you come up, you come up with price, man. Um, one price stores have always been cool to me. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't think Saturn failed because of one price. I think Saturn failed because the car sucked. I don't think it had anything to do with one price. Um, but if I look at, if I look at one price stores that I deal with, I would say to you that 
I dude, as a car guy, a hard car, car guy, negotiation his whole life, 100% commission since I was 18 years old. When I was sitting in stores, observing what was going on and watching customers be walked out of the door over $250 or $500 on price because the price is the price, right? So consumers would come in and be like, yeah, yeah, you're a car dealer, ha, ha, ha. They'd sit down, they'd ask for a negotiation and someone would say, no, the price is the price. And the customer would say, well, for 250 more, I won't drive another 10 minutes, but you know, are you gonna do that? And the guys would sit there and say, no, yeah. sorry, the price is listed. So do you think our industry has, because that's very few and far between, that's the Rydell group, by the way, and they're, they're a cut above the rest when it comes to the one price. The killers, have, yeah. Know? But so do you think that our industry can, can stomach it? Do you think they really can sit there and say, I'll lose a deal over 250 if the consumer wants to walk? I don't right now, no. I think, um, I think what's happened is that uh, we've painted ourselves into a corner that's gonna be really tough to get out of. The, you know, I, I, I often think like, okay, say a customer has a car for an average of like, I don't know, seven years, right? And let's rewind the clock to 2006. Dealership might've just gotten their first website, maybe. They're pretty progressive. And there's a button on that website that says, get $500 off if you give me your email. So like, I think about this because but can you imagine there's a guy, you know, on his couch next to his wife, on his computer, and he looks over and he goes, honey, you'll never believe our luck. All I have to do is give them my email address, and I, they're going to knock $500 right off this thing. Like, let's do it twice, right? Yeah. And sure enough, uh, nothing really happened. By clicking that button uh he probably got like a call hopefully in the next like half hour less than that um uh, not then calls not not then not in 2000 you don't think so? not under your current parameters sir no that's not what happens then uh at all i was it was it was people because i was there i was that was i was the, i was the heart of my retail experience so no i was there um were people picking up the auto by telfax going what do we do ben, I, <laughs> You've heard me say it, obviously, or we've talked about it because I, I was always confounding, right? 2003, I'd be sitting there staring and going, all right, I'm waiting for faxes for internet leads, right? And the worst part was at the time, I didn't have anywhere to put them. I just had stacks of internet leads on my desk. There was no CRM, like Cobalt's ILM back then was was rough. I mean, if you wanted to screw with it, go ahead. But I mean, again, dating myself, that, that's, that's, part of the, that's part of what I really, when I got my website, it was one of those things that, again, right away, I thought, we're going to make this easier for the consumer. This is going to be great. Websites make things easier. And all we did was take the newspaper and cram it into the internet and just make it the same mentality, which is yes. pick it up, call, conversion, conversion, conversion. Because we, as an industry, we live on leads. Like, it's, it's, it's the only thing that we know how to communicate. But I'll be honest with you, because I predate the internet world starting in 98, my, my owner came to me in 2000, told me to sit in the corner and figure out who AutoTrader was, all right? But that, that, that before that, it was about your book of business, Ben. That is how yeah. it was so hard for me, a Chicago market getting started. I didn't, I didn't have a book of business. So when someone told me to go sit in the corner and have leads come in, that made total sense to me because I didn't have any. 
But when they started telling me to give it to the guys who've been there for five years, seven years, who already have books of business, I became thoroughly confused because I didn't understand why they needed those leads. They should already have their own. So I, then that's where I, I went totally. hell. I went all the way into my customers, not the dealerships, right? How many salespeople t today do you really think even have the mentality to own their own database? Truly. Like, I know it's easy to blame the dealer, not empowering them, not training them. Sure. But from a sales perspective. Yeah. No, I mean, well, okay. Two things I want to make sure we link together. So one is like that person, if they, if, you know, that person that like fell for it once on the button, right? Yeah. Probably didn't fall for it again. Maybe he's still a loyal customer, but like maybe, we, and maybe we rebranded the button seven years after 2006, call it like 2013. We did. Oil customer comes back, we right? Did. Yeah, we call it get your price, check price or uh, get your e price. Availability is yeah. Check. Yeah. check availability. Well, that's a good <laughs> one too. Um, and uh, and but I think that person probably thought, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Like I'm not clicking that thing. And then we're like, wait, why are why are form submissions going down? Well, like obviously the button meant nothing. For years. So there's so much mistrust in any button we present on the website. So answer your first question, I don't think we're in a situation where a dealer could get to one price because almost everything on the website gets called into question anyways. Um, and so we're, we're going to need to work. I've always thought of sales as um, teaching customers how to buy. Yes. And so, you know, we've taught our customers a very specific way to buy. We're going to have to reteach them. So in seven years, maybe things mean something, you know, maybe there's trust in that button you click. Uh, your second question, do I think, um, do I think that salespeople are equipped to handle their own data? Uh, no, I don't think most of them are. Um, I think most salespeople uh, and I put this a little bit more on the dealer's shoulders, are thrown to the wolves, and it's like sink or swim. And, you know, there's good guys that, that, that probably just needed a little bit more training in order to become great people, but they, we lost them. We lost them uh, from in the industry probably as a whole. Um, but I do love the idea of like, I don't know what an average dealer sells per year. Call it, what would you say? Like, I mean, like I, would just, I would just call it 100 cars because we're probably going to do some math off of this. So let's just make it easy on ourselves. Okay. Call it, call it 100 so cars. Say, so say you're selling 100 cars a month. You're at 1,200 a year. Customer is going to hold on to that for seven years, right? And then renew. So, like, you need to come up with uh, 8,000 customers roughly that are a hundred percent loyal, right? Good like luck. if a dealership could do that, then they're actually more attractive as an investment. Um, than if they tried to go after consistent new net new business, but not try to retain, uh, their current book of business.
And and the way I I look at it is like, look at the vendors in this space, right? Look at your CRM company. You pay them monthly, right? Chances are you've been a customer of theirs for a very long time. Um, and they rely on the 3,000, 4,000, whatever dealers that they've secured as loyal customers to renew every year. I think there's a lot that the dealerships could start emulating um, at the vendor level, that the vendors are doing to the dealer. Well, now you're starting to get into what I deal with every day of my life. So uh, you're, you're going to have to continue to walk me through that, Ben, because some of the things that I see on the vendor side really match up in, in the poor way with what dealerships are doing, right? So uh, that's, that's something to me that I think we've got to be careful with. Um, but I think we could do a better job of understanding our technology, um, our price per square foot, like you and I were talking about earlier. That idea, I think we could do better with how many, you know, do you need, back to our example of 100 cars, do I need for, to sell 100 cars, do I need 10 guys to sell 10? Or do I just need five awesome ones to sell 20, right? And that's where my math comes back to is how, how best do we sell that 100 cars? Uh, my math is yeah. five on 20. I don't need 10 guys standing around doing 10 cars. That's not enough. Five on 20 means they're invested. And even then, even at five on 20, and they're going to work 25 days a month, they got to sell one car a day. It takes, should take no more than two hours if we're doing it the right way, the way that I've been talking about doing it. So what else are you doing in a given day? I mean, you know, there's, there's no other job like a car salesman job because once the job is yeah. done, you know, we can walk the lot, we can smoke the cigarettes, we can talk with friends, we can be on the cell phone with the lady, argue, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the job got done. That's the yeah. problem. Is it, because then, because now it ties into hours, Ben, because you're, see, you were talking about, you're talking about making both sides of this cooler. You're talking about making a car cooler and selling a car cooler. And I'm totally down for that because I want to attract great people to our business, but with our hours, with our management styles, with our lack of training, who is going to be interested? The only reason I got here is because I was selling a commodity, men's suits, and a family friend said, Sean, I know you love money. Imagine the commission you'd make if you sold a car, if you did it as well as you sold suits. And I was like, great. That's a great point. It's great math. Let's go yeah, do it. The win. <laughs> and we did that and the commissions were gigantic like he promised and everything was what he said. And it was just, I was in because I was hooked by money. Now, over the years, I've, I've, it's, it's become way more of, of passion. And I mean, I've been to the top, I've bought into stores, I've gone off the other side. And, and now I, I'm on the other side where I see all the opportunity to improve. And I feel like, yeah. I feel like we're missing it. You know, I feel like we're, we're, we're just, we have, we have such a, a point right now where we can make a real impact on people. Um, and we're just, we're kind of screwing the whole thing up. And it, it, it sucks. And then across the board, I have clients who I've been talking to for years and say, guys, integrate your BDC and your sales department. Please stop separating them. Get a lead, get everyone working on everything together. Now they're doing that, right? And they're having record months in there. And Sean, look at what it's done for us. Well, of course, because it makes sense. So Ben, in your world, when you talk about yeah. omni-channel, which you and I agree, not a word we care for, but it's, it's going to help people understand. I hate that word. Because they've heard it. So let's just call it strategy. What are you, what are you seeing sure. right now? is the most valuable way to sort of come to market for the dealer during this time with, with strategy across the board, platform to platform? How, how do you best kind of 
advise a dealer right now for, for a strategy? Yeah, I, one is um, you're probably not ready for digital retail. And I'm saying that as a person that is digital retailing's biggest fan. Um, you really are. Someone should, someone should give you a, someone should give you a pin for that. There should be the yeah, I should like have a crown that says like king of digital retail. All you know the digital I mean? like, retail companies should come thank you because you're like the only remaining soul. The reason I don't burn the whole fucking thing down is because I really love you and I love what you do. So I'm going to let look, you look, 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 have look. it, but I, I, we're going to get to my point on it. So continue with your love. Yeah. So, so like, I would look at a dealership's website and I call this BDP vomit. Um, where at some point I think it was like, well, one button works and then somehow it became 14 buttons. Yeah, man. But yeah, like, it's, it's the, the same crazy thing. It's flood the floor, flood yeah. the VP, the more leads, the more clicks, the more people. I'm good. It, it's the worst. It, I call it dealer math. It's the worst fucking math you could have in the world because it only makes yeah. sense who the guy who said it. That's it. It makes sense. It, to it's else. literally, yeah, to your point, right? You would, you would never imagine if you had on you know one customer walked in and you had four salespeople run over and work a deal with that person or all no all and ask them just, a different question no all four would run up and they would go all right so do you have a trade-in no nope. yeah do you know with your car no nope. do you need this yeah no nope. the price and they'd be like what the yeah. fuck I'm out of here right yeah i love it that's, that's literally that's, that's, that's literally adps personification of the website. Yes, 100%. So, you know, the, that's one piece that I'm like, all right, if you have, you know, 14 buttons, if you have five, you're probably not ready for digital retail. The bigger one is, um, is if you haven't mapped out and made a blueprint on what the process should be to support digital retail, um, then you're not ready for digital retail. That's probably the main main thing. I I look at Jeff Bezos and I I think like every digital retailing company enters uh, and has some sort of slide at some point in their presentation that says, "Don't you want to be more like Amazon?" But they all miss the key insight of what Amazon did, which was he made a warehouse a really, really streamlined warehouse first. And it wasn't until like five, six years later that he came out and said, I'm ready to have a buy it now button. It wasn't until that warehouse had the minimum amount of workers it needed to be efficient and to get things at people's doorsteps that he said, okay, now we can say buy it now because we know we're making a promise to the customer that now means really like basically now, you know, I mean, two days, whatever. Right. And um, I think that now part of it is a big part of what makes Amazon great. And I think that, th that, th that is the main reason they might have legitimate competition in the new Walmart deal only, only because of it's already set up infrastructure, right? Bezos has always said yeah. he wishes he had their infrastructure. He wishes he had their physical locations to make into warehouses and do what he does. But there, there can be something about that, which is I try to, so every time someone says Amazon to me, 
because I'm, I'm a dealer at heart and I love my dealers and I love brick and mortar, I go back to Walmart. And now that they're getting into this, it makes even more sense. But my point is, is that you can do, you can do big business I'll give you a for that. and in person, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. A hundred percent. I, uh, I, I am fascinated. So if you actually like map out what Jeff Bezos does and better than anybody else, is after he's mastered in, in, and created the best process that you can possibly run, the best playbook, the best process, he sells that process to his competition. So, you know, he figured out warehouse logistics and operations and the supply chain management. And originally, right, he was like, I'm just going to sell my own products. But then he nails it so good that he goes, hey, I'm going to open up Amazon Marketplace. Anybody can sell using my mastered operations and logistics. Dude, and that's no, you guys can shit, Ben, because you will pay, you know, you pay more for that. These people are going to local retailers and putting that shit back on Amazon. And you as a user are like, yep, Amazon, click, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, click. Yeah. You could have walked down to Walmart, bought the same pair of underwear for like $4 less. Well, it's on Amazon. Check so this out. I'm good. It happened again with Amazon Web Services. During that transition, he's like, I need cloud servers. Correct. So why don't I just and sell he made them internally? Sell real estate on those while we get going, you know. Then he's like, cool. Like, I already built I'm a year or two like to use it, right? <laughs> exactly. And then literally, and I, this is my favorite, is that I, I think he must have just walked into his warehouse. And you know, like the warehouse has all these sensors and like little robots running around, whatever. And, um, but the sensors really like track where all the, the package is, the items are, all that. Yeah. And he must have walked in and said, I've made it so easy in this space that what if I replace the warehouse worker with a customer? And the sensors just took care of the management. And that's how the Amazon Go stores really happened. Is you know, like in San Francisco, you can go in, you literally, there's nobody in there. You walk in, you grab stuff, you leave, your Amazon account gets charged, no human interaction whatsoever. Um, and now he's selling that technology to Target. Correct. And, so now, like, and now he's To go gonna... full circle. Yeah. You know, like it, it would be crazy to me. Process. For... Yeah, for people just keep on shelling money to him for his process. That's what it is. And you know what? So be it. And, and that's how he operates. That's what he gets done. Um, you know, I look at him. I think of him. I, I still don't know why he hasn't bought the USPS. I, I, just, I just don't get it. I don't know if it's because it has government red tape. I just, instead of going out and making your Amazon trucks, just buy a failing organization who already has infrastructure, yeah. paint them blue and move the hell on. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I've never understood it. I watch, now I watch the Amazon trucks in the neighborhood. But again, but again, what did he do there? He outsourced those logistics. He's like, no, 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 you guys already got trucking companies? Cool, go buy blue, blue uh, vans. Go ahead and slap my logo on the side and start running my deliveries for me. Um, and you know, yeah. I mean, you can look at the way he stacked all that, right? And takes it all up. And now, I mean, I remember reading the first article a couple years ago, like, man, own, own an Amazon fleet, make a hundred grand. It's like, huh, I got no, I mean, maybe I diversify and get into it. And then I looked at the work, I'm like, whoa, this is a lot of work for a yeah. hundred grand, man. It's a lot of, yeah. even, even with a tight process, um, it, it's, it's yeah. a bit of a reach, right? So uh, it's impressive, sure. it's impressive. So, but do you, 
because I, I feel like you're you're on the fence with this one, like I am. Do you really think it's a fair comparison to call Amazon buying a, a digital retail of a car? Like, does that is that apples to apples to you, really? Because everyone does drop the Amazon bomb, and I'm always going. That's the problem. I think that's the, yeah, that's the. So that's my main issue. Is right. Like, I think one buying thirty dollars worth of toilet paper is totally different than buying a car. Part one, hands down. Um, but the, I have the bigger lesson from, from what Amazon does well, that a dealer, uh, or auto just in general should be taken away from it is like, when you, when you click buy it now, you know, now really means something. And when I click a button in automotive, it's a fucking crapshoot, you know, it's like, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully this e-price thing gets me something. Maybe. Hopefully this $25 Visa gift card, if I do a test drive, gets me something. Maybe. It's, put it mildly. It, put it mildly. Right? Ben, I'm going to so, one so, second. I just got a little bit of background noise I'm going to try and eliminate. All right. Sorry about the technical break there. Um, so your beef is that people are trying to make this comparison about digital retail and Amazon. That's kind of where, where, where we left that. How do we, what other bridge do you make, Ben? How do you, how do you make the bridge back? And, and can you give me your quick definition when you say digital retail, what exactly are you referring to? Yeah, so that's, okay, that's. Totally. Right? You, you, you were so, the one that said definitions, right? It's very important that we have definitions. So what's totally. the definition? So, um, so part one to that would be, uh, I think most companies are making the mistake of treating this as a marketing product. And in fact, it's an operations product. Um, I think the second piece to that is to me, digital retailing is um, the ability for a customer to participate in portions of the car buying process uh, in a more cohesive environment. Okay. That's where I would put it. Okay. And I would, but, but important asterisks on that would be to think of it closer for, if I'm a dealer, I'd be thinking of it closer to my CRM than I'd be thinking of it, uh, uh, as like SEO or SEM or social ads or, you know, marketing. Um, I place it way closer to the technology you use to create a fluid sale. Okay. All right. So now I love this. So what we're talking about for everybody watching now, from now on, when you think about digital retail, I want you to think about it as the technology to facilitate a discussion digitally in a safer environment for the consumer a more cohesive environment where they have facts and figures and can move about things as they choose. Fair, Ben? Fair. Fair. Excellent. So within digital retail, the, the, what's the, why is the main, besides VDP vomit, what's the other main reason you could identify quickly in a conversation with someone why they wouldn't be a good fit to even get in the DR world? I mean, like I said, process, right? Lack of process. Um, the assumption that it's just going to sell fix you a fix that it's just going to solve the most complicated 
uh, buying process that a customer ever faces in their life. Um, I would say the VDP vomit thing, I want to make sure isn't, isn't necessarily just because things get buried. It's because all 14 of those buttons are not trusted. Right. And they don't, right. So like, not the same. It's not yeah. They don't communicate. Take you the other one can be native to the site. The other one can load in what looks to be native, but isn't. And again, we as we as technology car guys are like, yeah, what's the big deal? Who cares? But if you think about it, Amazon never takes you to some sub page. Going back to that example, yeah. yeah. Even if even if it's my buddy who does that, that's why I know so much about the whole reselling Amazon worlds because I have a buddy who, between him and his buddy, they do like gotcha. a, like millions of dollars. It's insane. It's really it's 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 yeah. not. So much so that I try and throw money at them to invest and look for like yeah. a, a, just a 3% return. They're like, Sean, we don't know yeah. how we do it. I'm like, look, here's 10 grand. If you make money, just send me back 13. All right. Just go, go do it. So, um, but when you look at it from, from that side of things, um, how can we, how can the dealers, how can the dealers still feel like they're, cause they're, I'm with feelings, but how can they feel like they're still getting opportunities while still but making it easier i guess the point is ben do you believe quantity over quality or quality over quantity which way does ben go in his world when he looks at the number of opportunities a store can have not just leads but opportunities in general yeah so i think uh i, I think quality as a focus leads to quantity Okay. Um, I like that. Though. The reason for that is like, if we're ever going to get to that world, which would be, I think, the ideal world where you have 10,000 uh, insanely loyal customers that every, you know, a thousand of them every year come back, 1,200 uh, of them every year come back and buy their car from you, then you had to have had an insanely high quality uh, sale. Um, but I think that 10,000 people quickly becomes way more, um, if they're given, but you know, that's, that's like the, that's the, the, uh, kindling for, you know, rapid growth is that people go, you want to go to these guys. I'm loyal. This is why I'm loyal to them. Um, and brings back things like the power of word of mouth and brings back, um, trust and brings back believability into the button, brings back all of this. Um, look, so I, I, quantity, I always, agree more quantity will get you money, you know, but quality gets you security. Quality gets you the long-term quantity, which I think is, which I think is yeah. your point, which is what I really like about that discussion. Um, I think you're, I think you're yeah. dead on, man. When you talk about um, the, the ability to have, so we, our company really took off when we stopped selling. We stopped going to, to, to just try 20 groups, trying to push, 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 sell, sell, sell. As soon as we just started doing our jobs, making our customers happy, next thing you know, those people were telling their buddies at 20 groups that we weren't even present in. And then boom, the whole thing. So the second I stopped selling yep. Carbiz, Carbiz blew up and, and took off on yeah. its own. But from a retail perspective, and that's all I have, dude, that's what I've noticed through this whole thing um, is that we have, you know, we lost probably 10% of business, maybe 15 during this whole thing. What that says to me is not a bad thing. What it says is I've got an 80 plus percent loyal base. 
And that's what matters to me because at that level, I can always do business. If that, if that same 80% wanted to keep me as their guy for the rest of their lives, I would be the happiest boy on earth. Even if, even if the business didn't grow another dollar because I'm doing and working with people that I have the ultimate passion to do it for. And I think yes. what's important for, for, for people to understand about your point is that dealerships, I learned this a long time ago um, from, from the founder of the men's warehouse, one of the smartest guys I ever got time to, to spend with. And it was that, dude, you don't need customers. You need evangelists. You need people who no matter where they are, if someone says buy a car, automatically they go, you have to go here. You have to go here. And I'm reminded of two groups. One, I I know, you know, Matt Lasher and West hair. I feel like they're, that's who they are. That's how they operate. Given my conversation with Matt, seeing what they do for marketing, frankly, what they don't do for marketing. Um, And then talking with my local group here, Zimbrick Automotive, Madison, Wisconsin, unbelievable group of dealers who doesn't spend what the normal dude spends in market, but still grows its business to a half a billion dollars, you know, each year as a company. Um, I, I agree, man. I, how, but how, Ben, how do we make our customers into our evangelists? What, what do you think is the easiest way besides trying to rebuild trust in that? Like, let's assume they're in, how, how do we continue to cultivate the trust? I, I think um, I think I think it's it's easy, man. It's just like I said, like go to your website right now. Get rid of something that says check availability. Get rid of something that says e price. You know, like if it if it doesn't immediately deliver value to the customer assume it's useless Um, or it's doing brand damage to you in the long term at least because yeah you might you know there's probably another dude today that will you know look over and go honey honey can you believe it there's a better price if I just put in the email address there's definitely a guy out there for sure Um, but that guy is less tomorrow and less the next day and less and less and less and less. So I would immediately start putting out stuff that's real um, and make sure that before any promises, you know, like I see a lot of dealers that say like express lane, you know, or like quick buy. VIP experience and you show up at the store and they're like, I can only imagine a customer looking around and going like, is it, where's that, where's that red carpet? Where's that express lane? What, or do you, you know, it'd be like, it'd be like if, um, it'd be like if like Hilton or like Bonvoy, Marriott Bonvoy was like, yeah, if you get, if you're a platinum member, you get all these benefits as soon as you walk into the hotel and then you show up and there's like, no individual carpet, no free bottle of water, no free cookie, no, you know, like they just looked at you and were like, oh, well, you know, sorry, you're sorry, like, sorry, why didn't I just go to Expedia? Yeah, yeah, sorry, we yeah. Were, sorry, we were off on our brand image there, but no big deal. Uh, you know, your room's ready. Go have a nice day. Ben, that that point, yeah. that that point of disconnection, I think, is really why. I'd like to get away from the idea of using the word omni-channel because I think it has to do with advertising. Yeah. I think the strategy has to Agreed. do with what it is you're going to do. You can go tell people that all day, but the biggest waste of advertising dollars when you do that and do not deliver at a store level. 
I, I cannot imagine yeah. anything more disastrous than that. Can you? 100%. I, I mean, you know, like if I'm, if I'm honest, I actually think at least during this COVID moment and possibly a repercussion afterwards that we actually spent maybe too much time from 2009 to 2019 on optimizing shopping and not enough time on optimizing buying. And I think what you and I both agree on is that, you know, digital retail is one way to optimize buying. That's one way. But it occurred to me, like my mom uh, tries to do a Zoom with me. She's almost 70 years old. Every week, she just she's like, you know, let's, let's get on a Zoom on Wednesday at 7 with the whole family. And I'm like, okay, if my mom can figure out virtual video conferencing, then instead of, like, uh, schedule an appointment as a button, do schedule a virtual appointment. Use a free Zoom account. Use a free Google Hangouts account. Like, you know what I mean? Make sure there's a person on the other end that oh, yeah. will do this, right? To deliver, but, to deliver on the message of the button. Again, the reason that this goes yeah. back to what you said, the reason that the $500 button was important is because when they got their price, and if you did your job right and you highlighted the $500 additional savings they got from the coupon, my God, did they feel special. Did they feel like it was just them? They can tell their wife they did a good job, you know, because they did get that extra nickel. And we just, we don't do it. We don't deliver on it. And, and then that's, you just got me to my point, which is remote retail. You're talking about remote retail, which is the ability to sell a car on this, on this, on, yeah. on, on the typing, clacking behind me on email. I don't give a shit. And the most important thing about that is whatever you do, however you want to be communicated with, Follow yep. your consumer's means of communication. If they want to text you up 400 times, ask you 7,000 things, do not text them back, call you. They, they're on their right. fucking phone. They'd have done that if they wanted to do that. They don't want to do that. So here's what they want right. to do. That's remote retail. And I think people get so tired in their heads about digital retail. They get lost in the fact that if you're going to have a DR button, yeah. let, me, let me just take you back here. If you're not willing to appraise a trade over the phone, you mean to tell me you're really gonna let them get their own value online? Okay, well, that's just fucking weird. Uh, you're not willing yeah. to give them an actual price online, but you think they can pencil their own payments without you? What are we talking about? Like, and, and some yeah. of it, and I don't wanna go too far because you've already been graced with your time, but some of this goes back to the OEM and the stupidness and requirements of people who know nothing about selling cars. All I know about is wholesaling. And now you're in a bigger mess. Yeah, I think, I think there's like, I think there's definitely some uh, onus on um, on the OEM in terms of like you, you set the dealer up a lot for being the bad guy when you know the commercial says, "Hey, everybody gets a 199 lease," and then you get like a 540 in the store, and you're like, "I don't know what you want me to do." You know what I mean? It's not you. Um, I think that is a symptom of the same thing of like. Hey, this is the promise. Oh, sorry. Um, it just changes who the fall guy is. I think uh, in terms of remote retailing, like again, you know, I I put this up on LinkedIn a few days ago. I was like, look, 
Look at your favorite vendor, whoever that is. Um, probably uh, you're a loyal customer, right? So you pay them monthly. Maybe it's your CRM company. Maybe it's your advertising. Maybe it's your website, whatever. How did they get you to become loyal? And I guarantee you uh, what they did was like a Zoom meeting, uh, email correspondence, if that's what you preferred, phone, if that's what you'd rather do, text even, because I, I know a lot of guys uh, only respond to me if I text them. Um, and they did all of what we're talking about to get you to spend $2,000, $4,000 a month on said product, right? It's literally just take that as, a, as at least a blueprint and say, all right, what went really well with that vendor and how could we do the same thing um, when we're thinking of our own customers? And I think we'd, we'd move forward. We'd move the needle a lot. I like it. I like it because we forget as, as car guys that we're the easiest laydowns. My wife will tell me that every day of my life. She makes it clear to me that I am the easiest laydown because I, I have to. I'm a lay down because I respect a great process. If your process sucks, I'm the first you one did. to walk out. I don't even let you finish what you're saying. I guess I, I don't care. I'm out. Yeah. I'm moving on. But a good I've got, that'll sell me. That'll I've sell got, me. I am a Bonvoy, you know, AMX, bon, like I got the whole, I'm deep into, well, it was originally SPG. But you're but deep, because, deep into the Marriott world. Yeah, but be, it was because uh, I was at an airport in Chicago. And this woman, like three or four times, sir, can I, you know, I want to save you $50,000 in hotels, like, you know, just boom, boom, boom. And I just, I didn't need it. I didn't, I was like, oh my God, I just love how persistent you are. And I'm, you know, I'm the same way, man. I just appreciate a good sales process. Um, and I'll pretty much bite on anybody that's nailing it. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. But again, if, if, if I bite on the sales pitch and then when it comes time to integrate and go the way that you said it was going to go and it doesn't, I'm also the first one to bail. I'm not going to just do yeah. things because if you overpromise to me and underdeliver, that's a badness on you. And I think that's what our industry has always struggled with. I think that's what I was as a dealer. I was always saying my guys, look, you tell that customer the price they can buy the car for. That's what they're going to buy the car for. That's what's going to set us apart. If we just, I remember, I remember going to my owner one time telling him to run an ad. It just said what you see, what, what price you see is the price you can buy for. Just a black background, white writing, run it for 30 seconds on the screen, just have people stare at it with a website below it. Because at the end of the day, if we were willing to honor who we were, what we said we were going to do, people were cool with it. The issue we ran into is when, I'll give you an example. When yeah. I was selling cars in Chicago, we would put up a two-wheel drive blazer as the, as the ad car, right, in the newspaper. Yep. You know who always got that up? The new guy. So the new guy gets the up, customer comes in, says, hey, where's this car at? Oh, great. It's right over here, right? It's like an $18,000 Tahoe. People cannot believe it. They're blown away. It's brand new. What's going on? They look, yeah. there's no backseat, okay? There's no yeah. backseat. There's no fucking, it's two-wheel drive. The whole thing's a mess. And the guy is like, he's livid with me. He is like, you guys lied to me. You bait and switch, blah, blah, blah. I said, dude, but yeah. what? didn't you tell me you were a painter? He's like, yeah. I'm like, then this is beautiful for you. Like, what do you mean? You don't, you don't, we don't have to have a cap. You don't have to go get a bed or nothing. Like this, just put some plastic back here and put your shit in here. He looks at me and goes, my ladders will fit easier too. I go, exactly. Right. 
boom, 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 drove the car, loved the car, bought the car. Whoa. But, but because it had nothing to do with the fucking car. He was trying to fill a need in his life. He was running a business. He needed a new vehicle to get his business around. Even though he may yeah. have been lied to, which is terrible. I didn't run the ad. I didn't place it. I just had to deal with you when it was run and, and, and try to explain to you. It's no different than 10 sales, Ben. Your family's been in the business a long time. 10 sales are what I call a steroid. It's, it's, the, immediate, it's the immediate results that you get from a steroid as opposed to a great plan of eating and working out yeah. keenly that will get you all of that, but it takes longer and more focus. Would you agree yeah. that if you do that in our world, we'd all be better off? I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we just love easy buttons. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think we've hit, we finally hit this point. And look, like, I think we've been delivered a lot of actual easy buttons. It's wrong, maybe the wrong word, but like, like if I think back to, and I'm not, there's a lot of really hyper progressive dealers that this does not apply to, but I would say a good litmus test for the average dealer would be to say like, all right, in 2010, one of the objections I got for dealer.com, I went to a dealer and I was like, you should get a website. They didn't have a website, like didn't have a website in 2009. iPhone's already out. And we went back and forth and he said, um, all right, how about this? Uh, well, I'll do a web page, but I don't want to show any cars. And I was like, explain to me. And he was like, well, if they want to see the cars, you know, they, they got to come in. And I was just like, no, this isn't, you know, and like, meanwhile, like, who will show you a car? Well, cars.com will, AutoTrader will, Edmunds will, right? By the, way, then, man, like, by the way, those are already my cars. Just so we're clear, those are already my cars. This was our own fault that we, 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 we are now paying people to resell our inventory on our behalf. Dude, I sat on a call the other day where the vendor was like, yeah, so uh, we're going to need to charge you like 99 bucks and get access to your data. I'm like, hold on, hold on. You want to charge me for access to my data to make you better at your job? He goes, yeah, no way. No, Crazy. no way, dude. We literally, we've left that gap open. So like 2013, it was transparent pricing. Dealer says, no, they want a price, come in. Well, true car and car gurus pop up pretty quick. Give me right? your prices, give me your prices. Then they turn into the pariah yeah. because they were going to do it first. And now that you're willing to do it, now they're the bad guys. It's the whole, it's just a cyclical. It's story. a rinse and repeat thing. And I would yeah. say, you know, even though Carvana is a deal better, right, technically, I would say that is an example of, you know, it's 2020. And now there's this emotional rush to go and participate in something like digital retail. Great. But for the majority in each of those instances, there was a catalyst, like an external catalyst that was like, oh, wow, cars and auto trader and Edmonds are showing 35, 120 pictures, whatever. I, okay, fine. You know what? This web page idea. No, we're going to do a full-on website, and then the transparent price. Oh, we should do that. And then Carvana. Oh, we should do that too. What I'm trying to to get at is that, like, yeah, yeah, it's your inventory, right? But you can also be the leader and have the third party catch up. 
And I think that's such a more comfortable space to be in than to look up and go, oh, crap, you know, another guy did another thing. Now I got to react. I think it's finally a time in the industry where dealers are going to start being way more proactive um, in in giving like these third parties uh, a run for their money in terms of like out technology technologically progressing against them. Well, dude, I, I'll bring it back to, we'll kind of wrap this up again. You've been awesome with your time. Wrap it up. I, I would say that I learned everything about selling from, uh, the men's warehouse where I work. That's where I got my first real-time gig, made real money. I was one of the youngest GMs in company history and got to spend time with George and the upper guys. And one of the things that always stood out to me was that it was the experience, Ben. Have you ever been to a men's warehouse, Ben? Have you ever needed a suit? Oh, yeah. One? Yep, yep. So my wife always talks about the story because when you were there, man, you, if you, it was me and you, this was an experience and they built it to be an experience and they trained you, Ben. We had to fly out to San Jose to go to men's warehouse, you do, for two weeks two weeks, you were wrapped up like in a bubble, just all men's warehouse all day. The culture, the people, this, the presentations, right? When I was doing that, I thought, man, this is awesome. But then I started to put a spin on it, right? I'm showing you a tie and your wife goes, I hate that tie. I just take it and throw it behind me. I don't even look behind it. Get rid of it. It's not for you. Throwing shit all over the place because they felt like they were in a show. Then other customers were like, what's this guy doing? I'll wait for him. I don't even want to talk to you. And then, you you know, you could have that. I just, we have the opportunity to do it. Right now, you have the opportunity to sell a car like this. Right now, Ben, if you gotta, if you gotta, let's say you did, let's say you did hit the coupon for your wife, and all of a sudden, right back to you came, please hook up with a Zoom. Let's talk about your five hundred dollars discount in the vehicle of interest. I'm standing in front of it. What would you do? Yeah, you'd be in. You'd I be mean, like, yes, I, you'd yes, be meeting. You'd be so loyal too, because you'd you'd still have. The, you'd be so. This is the great, the best part about that is that expectations are so low right now. Correct. For most dealers. Yep. That if you were to just say, yep, here's the thing I'm going to do, and then you do it, it literally will blow customers. People will be like, holy, sh-. like the button worked. The button oh worked. Oh, my God. You said I it would is get crazy. It, I got it. And, and loyalty, Ben, is, is, is all it's about, dude. When I, when I sold suits, it was all about the loyalty. If I sold a data suit, he came in with a 13-year-old, that 13-year-old is going to have a, you know, something when he's 15, I'm going to sell him a suit, yep. whatever it was. And, and you deal with terrible shit, too. People come in, they got to go to funerals. You know what I mean? So you got to completely change your approach. You got to, there's no throwing ties. We're respectful. We're telling everyone to be quiet. Yeah. We're going through things. You know what I mean? So you got to be able to read the room. And I don't think we're doing that as, a, as an industry very well. Um, I still think even in the beginning of COVID, you were seeing, I see a ton of reviews, right? You were seeing reviews of customers going, can't believe I, I drove three hours to wait three hours in a showroom. I'm just like, oh my God. Oh, no. man, I, so next, next time we do this, so I'm sure there'll be the next time. Um, you just brought up one of my favorite topics, which is, so I'm kind of obsessed right now with what I call digital body language. And so... Uh, whoever's listening to this, I'll leave, I'll leave that, like, this is like a quick synopsis of it, right? Yeah, all right. Um, now, imagine you had a customer and they do the digital retailing and they have a trade-in and it's a three-year-old car and it's got 30,000 miles on it. Beautiful. So that, we'll call them Carol. And then we've got this other customer with the exact same car except and she's trading it in, except 
it's got 61,112 months on it. Which one is lower funnel? Which one's buying a car tomorrow? Uh, the 61,000 mile customer, because they're much closer to having warranties or issues, wear, tear, typically. Uh, and they probably ride the shit out of their cars because they've done 20,000 miles, assuming they bought it new in three years. They, they would be my focus of who I would be interested in most. The 30K car is cool for my used car lot, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a car deal today. Totally right answer. I will say wrong reason, but probably still a right reason. All right, well, so, then what's, what's the right reason? It's your example. What's the right reason? So, so here we go. One person, and it's kind of a trick question, but one person, right, got well, to your trade app. No, no trick questions. We just talked about why trick questions are no good. So, <laughs> I hope this isn't a fucking 500-hour button trick on me right now because it's starting to- No, 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 no. All right. Okay. So one person shows up, right? They go to your website, they do the trade in app, and they're like, eh, I think I got 30000 miles. Yeah. The other person, right, gets to that trade-in app, goes downstairs to their garage, turns on the car for a second, looks at the odometer, and it's like 61,112. Okay. Yeah. Goes back to their computer and writes 61,100, the precise number, right? Nobody just remembers what their odometer says. Correct. So we got one guy that's probably just researching because he's just trying to figure out, can I be in the market? If I had roughly 30,000 miles on this thing, what's it worth? The other person's like, no, 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 I'm buying a car soon. So I need the exact, think about the same thing with the O, right? Customer says they owe 13,000. Customer says they owe 12,992. Who called their bank, right? Correct. Well, that's the, to me, the tipping point. And that's where I think as we get into remote selling, um, that's where I think there's gonna be a bigger differentiation in terms of like the training and the process those type of cues are going to be what we need to look out for. Uh, because as you were about to say, and this is where I do think you're a thousand percent right, where you were alluding to like, hey, look, one person's, one, the 30,000 guy, he's great for my lot, 60,000 person that was getting closer to warranty. That's, I think, the next level. So I think like, you know, if you call the first example as kind of like high school, the like genius level is changing the test drive for each of those customers because one drove 10,000 miles on average a year and the other is at 20,000 something miles per year in doing a 40 minute commute to work. Like, are you showing Apple CarPlay? Are you showing Android Auto? Are you making sure their favorite podcast is playing? Are you making them uh, uh, call their best friend on Bluetooth like they normally do on that 40 minute commute? Are you showing them uh, the lane keeping assist features that help them in that highway traffic that they'll inevitably get into. Like that I think is like the level we need to aspire to get to. So to tie that to full figuring circle, those things out. I would tell you that that's something that, so I watch, I watch a bunch of real estate shows and one of the ones I watched recently, they were talking about selling it, you know, it was like a, it was like a fucking $75 million house. Okay. Like 70, there's a handful <laughs> of people in the world that can even buy that house. All right. $75 million. And they were like, well, how are we going to do it differently? Well, you know what we're going to do is we're going to give everyone, a, you're going to have to give us a three-day notice that you want to see the house. We're going to do all our research and we're going to give you a personalized experience inside this house. So for me, I love sports, blah, blah, blah. Well, this one guy, when he walks in, they find out the dude loves sushi, loves cigars. They had a girl rolling cigars in the cigar room in the house and then sushi out on the back deck overlooking the ocean. The guy was like, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, shaking his head the whole time. And I think that's where we're headed. 
I think we're headed yeah. to a very personalized experience. I think that's what the men's warehouse taught me. I think that's what, what I try to do when I sold cars was whatever details you have, because I don't know, I've said this a hundred times, I don't know shit about cars. I don't know horsepower. I don't, I, I don't know anything. The Moroni sticker is how I sold cars if I ever needed stupid details people cared about. But the same, oh. guy, the same guy who taught me everything George told me, that 90% of my customers care about 10% of what I know and 10% of my customers care about the other 90%. And the point was, yep. listen more, talk less, you'll be fine. The customer, it's not an old adage for a reason. Customer will tell you how to sell them if you just listen. And in our case, they'll tell you how to sell them if you just watch. If you watch how they're engaging. And Ben, I'll say this, it, your example would have certainly tripped me up if you, would have, if you bring those mileages closer together. If, if yeah. you would have said to me, hey, Sean, the customer yeah, 30,449, yeah. it would have taken me a second, but I've been like, Oh, that seems like real mileage. So when you when you had to divide so wide, I just I directly go to miles. You no, no, I mean you're still right. I mean, when you like you nailed also like the wear and tear, like that changes. You read right into the tea leaves of you were already going down the path of like empathizing with the customer, like sitting in that car, person's car seat. You were already talking about, hey, they probably put a lot of wear and tear on it. They're driving a lot of miles. Like you were already going down that path. So I you're already in that mode of like, oh yeah, I can see that person and see what they're doing, which means that you can personalize the experience. And so I was like kind of laughing because I was like, shit, you're skipping a step, man. You're already well, ahead of it. It's because realistically step one to that for most people is reading the lead details. You guys have so yeah. much information and your CRMs don't help you. I get it. But there's so much information locked in there already. Customers putting in notes, you're not reading. Customers specifically hit, whether it's the Getty price, whether it's the availability, we send back the same stupid message and it doesn't matter. Yeah. If, they, if they click on yeah. DR, they get the same stupid message back. It's we're not doing anything to differentiate each single lead provider I always did. I always said, if I got a cars.com lead, Thank them for being on cars.com. Thank them for being here. Yep. Thank, whatever it was, because they, why didn't they convert on my site versus cars.com? Uh, I'll give you a guess. Trust is probably it, right? That's probably, that's probably a good one. Um, they trusted a brand that, that wasn't actually selling them anything. So, of course, it was easy to trust someone who wasn't totally. involved in the process. Yep. So, Ben, in closing this up, man, what would you say? What, what's the one advice you give to dealers right now uh, as it relates to sort of main thing to focus on moving forward. I don't care if it's advertising, DI, like you're doing some consulting now. What's the one thing that stands out to you as the opportunity? Sure. Yeah. So I would say, um, if you can, the best thing I, I think a dealer could do is go and look at, um, uh, and try to identify who their loyal customers are, who they sold the car to, uh, numerous times over the years. And uh, personalize a message to that person, whether that's a phone call, text, or whatever, right? Um, but make sure that, that that loyal base that you already have is aware of you and, and knows that you're thinking of them. I love it. Personalize the experience is my takeaway from this whole thing. Um, I, think it, sure. I think it lends its hand to a, a much better um, car buying and selling experience. I think it's exciting for people to know that they could be getting the stage ready. That's what one of my first GMs ever called selling cars was you, you go up on stage, you have an opportunity to, to be the only one. And, and to do that, you have to really personalize. And in order to do that, you have to listen, ask the right questions. 
Um, because again, these people, what they want to tell you, um, I made it mandatory, Ben, people buy cars from me. My wife was just bitching at me the other day about this because um, I still do it to my friends when they call me. Sean, can I, can I buy this car? What's your budget? What does it matter? <laughs> it's all that matters. You guys wonder why you spend. I don't, I don't care what your profit is on the diamond ring I bought my wife. doesn't matter. I know it was in my budget. I can't care what other, I can't care what Amazon makes on a set of underwear. It doesn't matter. It fit my budget. I needed it now. So I think people need to remove yep. the idea of profit because when asking a consumer and Ben, you, you have a lot of car people around you. So next time you're in a room with people talking about buying a car, ask all of them what they would pay to have a better seamless experience. And anyone I asked immediately was like up to a thousand dollars, up to a thousand dollars, up to a grand. And I was like, Listen to this. Here we Crazy. are. We sink to the bottom as a fucking industry, and the consumer doesn't even want the bottom. They're, they're tired of the bottom. The price is fine. Whatever. This is the experience is why they want to buy a car. Dude, I, I'll send you a slide right after this. Uh, it's one that I, I was going to post, but I, I didn't. But I, it's relevant to what you just said. Um, and maybe uh, maybe maybe you'll showcase it on this. But it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. The battle between, uh, if you use Google Trends, and you look at historic from 2004 to today um, and do the word cheapest and then do the word fastest. Um, it's amazing how much the gap between those two has uh, almost disappeared by today. And specifically during the COVID time where people care about, I will, yeah, yeah, it's really cool. That's awesome. And we'll be able to share it on here so you guys will be able to see the image here as we, uh, as we overlay it one way or another. My team will get that figured out. Ben, you have been tremendous, my friend. This has been my longest sit down for a long time. Um, but you're easy to talk to and you make it fun. And uh, I really, again, man, thank you so much for being on. Yeah, man. Happy to do it. Ben, how can everyone find you? Uh, hit me up on LinkedIn uh, or benhadley at hey.com. Okay, so there we are. LinkedIn, where I, I make my presence known there a few days a week. Ben's on there as well. Guys, check it out. Thank you guys so much. Remember, wherever you listen to podcasts, you will find this. And if you get the visual, go ahead and check it out on the YouTube channel. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you, Ben. Enjoy, bro.